0: Hello and welcome to episode 109 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, and I am joined, as always, by Paul Herman. Paul, how are you?
1: I am very, very, very well.
0: You're very cold, or
1: yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, very cold too. Uh, seattle just got inundated with uh, a crap load of snow, and I used to live in Minnesota, and I'll just, I'll just say that. It looks like Minnesota right now, and in both good and bad ways. Because you know, snow is beautiful at first, and then it gets gross and dirty, and then it's bunched up to the road, and it just starts piling on top of each other. It's just gross. I hate snow. So, <laughs> yeah, I've been staying, been trying to stay warm.
0: Yeah, it never really looks as pretty as it does from in movies, but at least not for long.
1: So, yeah, never long.
0: Yeah. Oh man. Well, it's not nearly that cold here in Southern California. Um, But what uh, we are going to talk about this week, we're going to start our In the End Game series. We talked about this. We announced this last uh, last month. Last year, we did our Road to Infinity War, of course, leading into Avengers Infinity War. And we didn't want to just repeat that. So we want to talk about the end game. And we're going to talk about the end game for the various characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We won't necessarily get to all of them. But we will definitely cover the original six Avengers and some others as we go on. And we're going to start off this week with Iron Man. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about how our own relationships with the character have changed as a result of the MCU. As well as some of our favorite moments and the things that have stood out to us for the the arc that each character has been on. So in this case, it's going to be Tony. And then we'll finish up by discussing what we see as the appropriate endgame for the character. So similar to what we talked about a little bit in The Road to Infinity War, we talked about our journey to that specific film of Iron Man in 2008. But I think for a lot of us, Paul, I mean, I'll just start by speaking for myself. I, I certainly have become a much bigger fan of Iron Man as a result of the MCU, and I don't think I'm alone in that. It's not that I wasn't a fan of Iron Man prior to the MCU. I was, but there were a lot of Marvel characters that probably would have gone ahead of Iron Man if I were to list my favorite Marvel characters 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Uh, Iron Man probably wouldn't have been all that close to the top of that list. And uh, I think what changed uh, or what the MCU kind of changed is it really took us inside this character. In some ways, there were some changes made with through Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal. And we've seen some of that matched in the comics to be a little bit more like Downey's performance. But I don't even think it's so much that there was anything wrong with the character in the comics because there wasn't. But I think what the MCU has been able to do so beautifully is really just tap into who this guy is and what makes him tick and put us on and, and allow us to really see this character go through change and go through so many steps forward but also a few steps back as he tries to better himself throughout uh, his journey here in, in all of these films. Uh, but I, I can definitely say I'm a, I'm a bigger fan of Iron Man today than I was prior to uh, to May 2008. What about you?
1: Well, Iron Man was always one of those characters that <clears throat> was part of the, the mainstream Marvel universe that I always associated with one of the upper tier characters, right? You had Spider-Man hulk captain america uh you know i always kind of viewed iron man and daredevil kind of the same where they're kind of like the they were i always loved those characters but they just were kind of daredevil kind of was kind of down in the lower tier because oh, captain america you know daredevil and iron man had their own titles and, and the right. thing was back in the day daredevil was always kind of like a hit and miss it was it, it sold decently well, but Iron Man always had a hard time. I think catching on with with uh, consistently as far as a, a, a big readership. There was always changes with you know with those characters mm-hmm. in the in the 80s and 90s. And I think David McAlliney, who brought in the Demon in a Bottle storyline, which we'll probably touch. I'm going to touch on a little bit later on in this uh, episode. Iron Man was, was was kind of you know at one point was replaced by Rhodey. Rody eventually became Iron Man in the eighties, and if you read the Secret War comic book series and from the eighties, that is Rody not Tony Stark. Tony Stark takes a break, and so Tony Stark kind of goes in and out of being Iron Man, and to keep kind of you know the viewership going, they could, they could, they would change the armor, but not as much as. They do, I, I'd say nowadays, I feel like they change the armor like every three months. There's a new or there's always a variation of what they're doing, which is not a bad thing, but I do miss the days of the uh, 70s and 80s where we had different armors and they he'd stick with that armor for a while. My favorite, the Centurion, the red and uh, white armor or silver armor, if you will, uh, that's one of my favorite armors that he ever wore. And he wore that for a couple of years. Then he kind of went on to a back to his tra- traditional red and gold. And then he went – if you went, remember the mid-90s cartoon that he had that mm-hmm. – uh, where, where he had the – was it the octagon kind of symbol? I'm not sure what you would call that. But it was like an octagon uh, on his chest plate instead of the circle that he usually had, which Centurion armor had the uh, upside-down triangle, I, I think. I that is-
0: animated series as like the nuts and bolts armor because it just looked very mm. – Looked very rigid to me. I mean, it's armor, so it's rigid anyway. But right, <laughs> like right, right. It, it no, just yeah, yeah. had a, it just kind of had a different look to it. But I, I guess that's. I mean, in animation, you're still drawing a lot of that stuff over and over again. But maybe it's still easier right. to do that than in a comic. Right. In several comic book panels. But yeah, I yeah. always remember liking that armor, and I mean, for Iron Man, like he was always a cool character. I always liked Iron Man. I didn't. Yeah, dis- yeah. I, I didn't dislike him. Uh, I think it was just he never stood out to me in the way of, I mean, my favorite Marvel character growing up was the Hulk, so it's not like I was always just chasing whoever the most popular was. Hulk was pretty popular, but he was nowhere near as popular as Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, and you and I grew up in the 90s, like, well, I mean, 80s and 90s, yeah, which was dominated by, I mean, all of Marvel's been dominated by Spider-Man since the 60s, but, uh, you know, the X-Men really blew up Mm. in the 90s, and... Uh, you know, and this was the you know one of the biggest things heading into the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that it was you know so many fans, so many Marvel fans who'd been growing up as comic book readers and watching animated shows and stuff like that. the Avengers I mean now they're the biggest, baddest, most oh. successful superhero team in the world, but they were second fiddle to x men oh. for sure they
1: weren't even second fiddle I know they yeah, were I'm, like I'm being fifth generous. Yeah, I'm being generous.
0: <laughs> by calling the the event yeah yeah like that and that's so it's just so interesting to see marvel kind of in that mm -hmm. place as they headed into the marvel cinematic universe and and starting things off with iron man and and i mean we talked about that back in the road to infinity war episode but nobody ever really seems to you know appreciate just how much of a gamble a lot of this stuff was early on
1: yeah so with with iron man what I was trying to say earlier I was doing a very good job I apologize but (laughs) was but thank you Sean Uh, with with he had his own title for years right but the problem was he never got enough I think uh, readership that would propel him to kind of take chances with Iron Man as far as like or not take chances but to kind of get the consistency that you Mm -hmm. needed you kept doing gimmicks to you know shake up things and that's the thing where what's what drives comics, I think, a lot of times is sometimes it needs, a, you know, a, a shot in the arm a little bit to kind of give it something or, you know, like Spider-Man. So iconic. He kind of he's been he stayed the same, you know, within reason. I mean, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. there's definitely some progression with the character like in, in the comic books. But it wasn't as, you know, Tony Stark. Again, he was replaced by a roadie. He became an alcoholic. I mean, there were drastic things they did with the character. Way more, I feel, than with Iron Man than they ever did with, with, uh, the, with Spider-Man, it's just, at least from the outside looking in. And again, I never I, – I would occasionally – back in the day, I would occasionally di- you know dip into different Marvel titles. But my consistent Marvel titles were always Spider-Man, X-Men titles. That means X-Factor, X-Force, New Mutants. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Spider-Man, the X-Men titles, Fantastic Four. I was a big Fantastic Four fan and uh, Hulk. Those were my main, and I'd kind of go between all of them, because I didn't make much money as a kid. I mean, my parents were going to buy me all those titles all the time. Are you kidding me? They'd be like, no. So... uh, So every once in a while, I, I probably t- t- talked about this on the show before, but I would go to like to like a, a spinner rack at a Seven Eleven or a drugstore. I'd be like, "Oh, can I grab this comic?" And always be one of the outliers, like the Daredevils or the Captain Americas or the Ironmans, or occasionally Avengers. I never was a big Avengers fan, and I've always been. You'll hear me on the old shows talk about a lot. I never, I never read a lot of Avengers stuff. I had some Avengers comics, but. Iron Man just was never I just felt like there was never enough that like got him over there just wasn't enough compelling things about him they would try different things and but they always the gimmick they always went to instead of character progression and I, I keep saying character progression and or um, you know yeah character progression or they go oh we need to change up the armor like they would try different things but nothing would ever stick so things were kind of constantly changing whereas you know Spider-Man kind of stayed the same And so with that, Iron Man never really developed past, I'd say, Demon in a Bottle. I feel Demon Demon in a Bottle was his biggest character-defining moment in the comic books. And then after that, he became this this rich guy who fought, you know. Well, it finally gave –
0: Demon in a Bottle finally gave Iron Man a storyline that people who weren't reading Iron Man comics would actually know about. So when you said Demon in a Bottle for Iron Man, People, mm-hmm. you know, you can say that to, I mean, people who have no idea about comics obviously would be excluded from that. But for people who know anything about Marvel comics and follow storylines and whatever, it gave Tony something that people could kind of latch onto, which is a very like post eighties, dark Knight returns comic book thing to do is if you want to give a character a landmark story, you got to go dark in some way. And they did with demon in a bottle. Um, Cause I remember when, when Iron Man first took off in 2008, No pun intended. When that when that film you know was a hit, all of a sudden people were like, "When are they going to do Demon in a Bottle? Are they going to do Demon in a Bottle?" And the reason people were asking that is because it was the only Iron Man storyline they knew they had heard of. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of the people asked besides Armor Wars. Yeah, well, there's I mean, there's Armor Wars, there's Demon in a Bottle, there's Extremis, and you know, we got a tiny bit of Demon in a Bottle, not really, and then we got Mm -hmm. Extremis in in Iron Man three. Yeah, I mean, I think with Iron Man, that, I mean, the, it's there's no doubt about it. I mean, the character's profile, as will be the case for pretty much all of the characters we're going to be talking about in these episodes. I mean, Marvel Studios raised the profile of of all these characters, and, and Iron Man is included. I think what's what's interesting though is in the way that that Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal has elevated Iron Man in the eyes of of us, and and in the eyes of so many. It still hasn't really fixed some of the issues that Iron Man has when it comes to selling comics. This, he still doesn't have one of the top-selling titles and probably never will uh, because I think people love what Downey does with the character. They love what Marvel Studios does. He adds uh, – clearly he adds an energy to it, a charisma that's just unmatched. And even though the comics have tried to give him more of that voice, Which I don't think there's as extreme of a difference between Downey's Tony Stark versus the Tony Stark prior to Iron Man. There's definitely a difference, but I don't think he became a completely different character or anything like that. Uh, But they've tried to amplify that voice in the comics, um, not always that successfully, but uh, it's still interesting that Iron Man is almost more of a movie hero than a comic book hero. Still hasn't really, the success on the big screen hasn't really translated to comic book sales.
1: Well, I would say part of that, I would say, I would argue that Fractions Run did, did he did the best job of conveying the Tony Stark from the movies into the comic book series, Yeah, and I think that he did, which I think is, that's the best Iron Man comics to, that had come out. If you And I'm not a big Fraction fan, I think Fraction's highly overrated as a writer, and I'm sorry to say that, but the Iron Man stuff is not bad. It, it's, it's sometimes hit and miss, but I'd say for the most part it's a hit. And I would also say that he got the voice and he definitely helped propel Iron Man to a better sales at that point. Uh, but at the same time, but you're right. He, but I think part of that though too, Sean, is that I don't know if, I think they've gotten the wrong writers for the, the character. Bendis did a pretty decent job, but he didn't amplify it enough to be a top selling book. And I think you have a point to where right now Iron Man is, is more of a movie hero than he has a comic book hero. I mean, his comic book is, 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 is doing better than it would if he didn't have Robert, Den- sure, Robert Downey Jr.'s sure. performance. But at the same time, you're right. I don't know at this point right now, I don't think Marvel has figured out how to one capture the voice of to- of uh, Tony Stark with Robert Downey Jr. But they haven't been able to write good stories with that character either. And I think because there's, there's always this baggage of, that there is there is a fundamental difference I think between the Tony Stark that we get in the comic books and in the film and I and that's what kind of the end game I think what this what the whole purpose of this end game thing for all the characters that we're, that we're doing is exciting because there is, I think there is enough differences that I don't know because part of it is there is a there is a finality to the Avengers oh for you sure know, there's, yeah so I think I think that's part of the problem. Is I think that because there is an ending for all these characters, they're able to do give them those character arcs. Whereas if you put that sarcastic person into that series now, it's hard to go back and retcon all those other stories that he wasn't really that sarcastic, joke, jokey guy. Now, you're, I don't think you're wrong completely either. That it's a huge departure. He always been a, he's always been a little sarcastic, mm-hmm. but. The the reality of what Tony Stark does in – I think in the films is fundamenta- somewhat fundamentally different enough to where it's hard to go back and say rewrite – or not rewrite but to kind of say, oh, yeah, remember when Tony acted like this? He may have not acted like that in the past. So, uh. so it's hard.
0: The, yeah, the way yeah. I see it is that Robert Downey Jr., his performance as Tony Stark – in a lot of ways, lives up to what I think the idea for Tony Stark always was and that they never quite got in the comics. Mm, Because I would read Iron Man comics and, you know, there'd be narration or other characters, if it's Avengers or whatever, and they would describe Tony Stark. And they would describe him as charming and charismatic and brilliant and all of these things. But his dialogue never really felt that way to me
1: yep. So mm-hmm.
0: his, you know, the dialogue that writers were giving him, and it's, it's not to slam the writers of Iron Man. Leading into, I mean, it was still a great, compelling character. But
1: there's great Iron Man stories out there. No, there, there are. And I'm, I'm Armor certainly Wars not is trying. Great.
0: Yeah, I'm certainly not trying to argue that there aren't. Um, but I think what Robert Downey Jr. gave is that you did. You no longer had to be told that Tony Stark was charming, that he was funny. You know, that he was you know, a ladies man or whatever, like he just lived it. He just was it, you know, he just embodied right. it. And that's because mm-hmm. th- there's there's a certain amount of what Robert Downey Jr. brings to it that you can't write. And I, I don't say that to slam the screenwriters of all the Marvel films, you know, whoever's written Tony Stark throughout all these movies. But there's a natural quality and, and energy that Robert Downey Jr. brings to it and that just comes off of him and his performances when he's on the screen. And it's hard to, I mean, it's, it, to me that embodies what the intention of iron man was from the beginning even if it hadn't quite been achieved in the comics and then you know in and i think the comics have he's helped give you know greater examples of what the comics can try to do but they haven't quite been able to match it but i think you can't i mean it, it points to the idea of i mean speaking of finality this is why nobody else can play tony stark like it's mm-hmm. you know i remember uh, there was a an interview with kevin Feige a long time ago And he compared the role of Tony Stark to James Bond, because this was still early days MCU. And so it was just looking forward to the idea of, hey, like, you know, these characters, because at the time, most actors would play a superhero two or three times, and then they were gone. And so the idea was that eventually it's inevitable, right? We're going to have to recast these characters. We're going to have, to, you know, a a different actor is going to have to come in and play Tony Stark. And I think what's changed, and I think this has helped shape you know, the, the trajectory of all of these characters, but particularly in this case, Tony Stark, and helped shape ultimately the story of Endgame, is I think not long after that kind of interview where Kevin Feige had the attitude that maybe Tony Stark would be James Bond, was that, no, actually Robert Downey Jr. just kind of is this guy for this entire generation of movie fans. And so there's not really going to be a way to recast the role of, recast an actor, you know, in the role of Tony Stark. What we have to do is cast a different character to take the place of Tony Stark slash Iron Man in the story. You know, so So now, you know. However, you want to compare it, whether T'Challa, you know, Black Panther is the new Iron Man of the MCU, and Captain Marvel is going to be the new Captain America, or whatever. I mean, they're really going to have their own individual identities. But as far as the leaders of the Avengers, you know, that's why these characters are. You know, some of these characters are going to wrap up their storylines. I think some of it is to provide, you know, a sense of closure to the story and, and to do things differently in movies compared to the comics, because in the comics things just have to go on forever because you can't reinvent hit new characters. When you have to ha- publish issues every single month, the comic book business model demands that these characters go on forever. Movies don't have that same demand. So you can have a sense of finality to care for characters and you can wrap up uh, and you can wrap up their stories. Uh, so you have the ability to do it in the medium, but also It allows you to overcome the difficulty of of uh, of recasting because I'm sorry, there's just it would be an instant automatic fail if they tried to put name any actor they try to walk in and say they're Tony Stark in the next five to ten years in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's just going to be people are going to reject it right away.
1: Yeah, there is you touched on something, I think, that makes a lot of sense for for Tony Stark and I think this is where they have a problem of recasting you had mentioned that the writers always intended for a a Robert Downey Jr. kind of dialogue and performance or or characterization I should say in the comic books but the reason why I never conveyed it is I think it's it's one I don't think they could ever write as well as as I think that 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 uh excuse excuse me uh Robert Downey Jr. Could perform, and I think that's because his he is he eludes or not eludes. Excuse me. He exudes. Disuses, yeah, exudes. I couldn't think of that word. Exudes <laughs> Tony Stark. Like he exudes all the all the the billionaire. Mm-hmm. You know the 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 womanizer. The all of that stuff. It comes across in how he performs it. It yeah. becomes it's not like a just giant writing. flashing
0: sign saying this guy's charming. No, he just is.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where I think the comic books tried maybe, and they never succeeded, so they just never tried very hard mm-hmm. a lot, a, a lot of those times. And that's where Tony Stark or er, is I keep calling he is Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. And that's what he does. He exudes that character so much that it's it's like almost an impossibility yeah. to emulate that and, and you're I think allowed that- to
0: confuse them by the way downey and tony stark because yeah he's, no he's yeah. totally adopted that as his public persona i'm not saying robert downey jr if you were like a guest in his home just really getting to know the real guy is tony stark because he wasn't always that way in like interviews and press and whatever but ever since iron man he's he's taken he's adopted that as his you know as his stage persona whether that's on a movie set or on a red carpet doing interviews. He he's totally Tony Stark.
1: Yeah. And I think that what's, and that's the, what's going to be so hard. And if, if the comic books are having a hard time emulating what Don, what Downey doing on screen, which I you never know one day, there's probably you know maybe 10 years from now, five years from now, there'll be a creative team on Iron Man comic books that will have an artist and a writer. And they will be so in sync that they'll knock that, that part out it's not going to be impossible it'll happen probably one day but it's going to be hard and what's even going to be harder and i think even more impossible is finding an actor that's able to go in and do that and you know we have things like the Ironheart character that are being yeah. created that are essentially i think trying to set that up to have a different iron man character without having to replace robert any jr it, it, to me it makes sense oh, because yeah. you don't can't you can't replace it and because of that it's like well instead of creating a different Iron Man and throwing in them in the, you know let's make it an iron you know a, a lady and let's make it you know and call a different character well, but what
0: yeah I mean in the in the Marvel Cinematic well we'll get into we'll get into legacy stuff towards the end for Endgame uh, but sure enough. Uh, you know as far as just getting into the the character arc for Tony Stark what I found so interesting about Tony in these movies is Ever since the first film he has, you know, it's the the themes for Tony have been things like accountability, responsibility that you know, your your actions have consequences and you're still responsible for them even if you're not necessarily awa- immediately aware of what all of those all the consequences are of your actions, of your behavior, him having to reconcile that you know, he thought that he was just making weapons for the military and America was always right. And and, uh, everything was so simple. And then finding out that his weapons are being bought and sold on the black market to whomever and being used to harm innocence and all of that. And so for Tony to realize that there's, you know, when it comes to his legacy, his name, that, uh, it wasn't what he thought it was. It wasn't just, you know, the boy genius from MIT, the son of Howard Stark, who could create, any kind of uh any kind of weapon that that his name was actually going to be remembered for blood more so than anything else. And him coming to terms with that in the first film, I think has been that really put him on a very interesting path. And I think what Tony has in common with Thor and, and some of the other characters that have been on these these arcs about responsibility and about being uh being humbled and, and all of those things that we've seen across these movies what's been very real to me about this is that the it's very much like how humans are as we try to better ourselves it's not like we have this constant upward trajectory where like once we decide we want to be better we're just slowly getting better and better and better and better and every day we're better than we were the every new day we're better than we were the day before with tony what we've seen is we've seen regression you know we've seen him maybe having the best intentions, but then he screws up. You know, he screws up in Iron Man two and ends up endangering a bunch of people in a really ridiculous scene fighting Rhodey. Uh, then you fast forward to, uh, you know, he start, Then he he learns he learns an important lesson in Avengers, and this is where you know he learns to not necessarily. He actually learns to let somebody else take the lead, as he does with Captain America in that film. Uh He also learns about the meaning of sacrifice and that there 's not always a way around it there 's not always a way to cut the wire um and I highlight that really quickly because uh, I will come back to it when we talk about the end game for Tony because some people think that Tony has to die because of that argument about you know cutting the wire versus laying down on the wire so the next guy can crawl over in Avengers. but Tony actually lays down on the wire by taking the nuke through the wormhole in the Battle of New York, but he makes it out of that but Then the post-traumatic stress from that we see him living in Iron Man 3, he finds a way to cope with it. I think a lot of people misinterpret Iron Man 3 as saying that he got over his PTSD in that film, and he never did. Uh, He learned how to cope with it, but it still impacts him because we see that in, I, I think, what was a regression for Tony in Avengers Age of Ultron, because... At the end of Avengers, it seems like Tony has learned to take a step back, let someone else take the lead, but then in Age of Ultron, when he's shown this threat in that vision that Scarlet Witch gave him, he regresses. He doesn't let anybody else take the lead. He doesn't even inform anybody else other than Banner to work with the Scepter to try and you know, find something to hopefully create Ultron to protect the Earth, because Tony feels like that is something he has to do. He knew that the threat was imminent, or he felt that the threat, the threat was imminent ever since he flew through the wormhole. He's the one Avenger who saw what was on the other side and saw that it was so much more than what the Avengers had even realized when they were battling the Jatari in New York. And so him being, you know, feeling that danger, feeling that threat, combined with the, you know, and, and the post-traumatic stress that came from that battle in the Avengers, as well as, you know, and, that, and all that's just made worse by what Scarlet Witch shows him. Like He regresses in Avengers Age of Ultron. He makes a mistake. He didn't actually create Ultron because Banner, or Banner and Stark were unsuccessful, but he opened the door that Ultron eventually walked through, and so he did have responsibility for that. And at first, he even tries to deny it, and he tries to act like it wasn't really his fault, and he tries to not have any uh, responsibility for it or claim any responsibility for it. And then he finally does when he says, my fault in Captain America Civil War. Uh, not to recap all of Tony through all of these movies, but you know, just looking at that track of all the way from Iron Man through Captain America Civil War, and Tony Stark doing very good things and making progress and growing as he learns more about responsibility and takes more responsibility for himself and his impact on the world, uh, but then also with those bad intentions, uh, because you know Tony hasn't been a do-gooder his entire life, so as he's learning to try and do the right thing, because uh, even when he tried to create Ultron, he thought he was trying to do the right thing. But going about it in the wrong way and not taking into account all the lessons he had he had learned along that path ends up having disastrous results. So it's been interesting with Tony Stark because I think he's done – he's obviously done a lot of good things, but he's had some pretty bad screw-ups along the way as well. And I think that's – but that's part of Tony and learning and accepting responsibility is that you're still – even with the best of intentions and even with trying to do better and do the right thing, you're still occasionally going to misjudge the situation and screw up. And then how do you come back from that? And the inspiring thing about Tony is that he does always try to find a way to come back from it.
1: Tony with Tony, the development of the character to me. And again, I'm not, I don't remember the original comic book origin, like off the top of my head, but, but I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that, there was – he's not responsible – in the comic books, it's just he's on Vietnam and he gets he, – he's trapped. I, for, I forgot why he's there, but I don't believe it's he's there to make him a weapon or anything like that. He's more just kind of – he's there. Uh, they're, the friend saves him and then he has – he makes the armor to help get him out of that situation and he kind of goes from there. I don't believe he's there to make him a weapon or anything like that. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, are you familiar with that original? Or- I don't know the or- original origin story like that closely, uh, Sean. Is that not, not in terms of
0: why why he's there? But I mean, I know, yeah, I don't recall all the specifics of it. But I mean, it, the point is, yeah, he's abducted, and it's it's in Vietnam, which was more of obviously of that era. It's Afghanistan in, in 2008, so it's it's a little bit different. But some of the core ideas are still there in that it's the arrogant billionaire who has to take responsibility. The first thing he's doing is protecting himself when he gets abducted. But then, uh, you know, I think in the movies, obviously, they've made it much more clear that he was shown, you know, of what he was shown and what, you know, the legacy, the, you know, what legacy his name was really going to carry uh, if he didn't change.
1: Right. Well, the reason why I bring it up is that because, there is one of the things I love about the characterization of this iron man. And I think is very different than what we get in the comic books is that he has, in a lot of these films, there's consequences for all of his actions where there's not really like that in the comic books. He just is a, you know, he's iron man and he's an Avenger and he, he's kind of, he's kind of a celebrity because he, his, his identity is revealed and then taken away from people and revealed again. And it kind of goes back and forth, back and forth. And, there's no there's no sense of like tony stark is this jerk he's not viewed as in the world as in my at least from the comic books that i have read he's not viewed as this uh v- celebrity as far as like the superhero celebrity at least for a long time he's not and it goes in and out so what's really interesting about the films is that they give you a different sense of Tony that he has a sense of guilt to what he, he has a responsibility now to take up and say i I am responsible for these mass these weapons of mass destruction that're going in the wrong hands and I have to I have to fix that and I think that there's there's a lot you can ride do with that. Like as as we've been talking about, that really gives a lot of great emotional weight to D- Downey's performance, especially in the first film. I still think the first film is his best overall performance, as far as his arc, and which makes sense. He has the most to go from, from you know, being the super awful, pretty much an awful person to someone who's who does good. So, but what's what's nice is in the comic books, there's not really that big, you know disparity between the two characters in the movie. It's like huge. And because of that, I feel that Tony Stark is a more flawed human being in the, or excuse me, in the, in the films. And because of that, there's way more emotional weight. And Mm -hmm. that's not always the case. Like Captain America. And we'll talk about him in his end game, but he's a pretty, he's pretty like the same character. As far as I'm concerned, we'll get to that later. But with Tony Stark, he's so vastly different in that guilt is definitely writing him throughout these films. And it's a theme that you come to and there is, there's not just the, the, the guilt that gets to him, but he, it it gets to him and he, and he, and he falls to it. And I think that's what's so interesting about Tony Stark's performance or (laughs) did it again, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance as Tony Stark is because it is relatable because Mm -hmm. he's not, he's not Captain America. How many people are like Captain America that you know of in real life? like, Nobody. I mean, like, there's very, I mean, those are John Beerley or Chris Clow. I mean, like, we happen to know (laughs) two of them, but I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, I can't, before them, I don't really know anyone that was like that. So, I mean, to be, but Tony Stark, as far as his character and the things that he goes through in these films, they're relatable. And they're relatable all the way through his, every film, even, there is a regression in Ultron, and Ultron's not my favorite Marvel film, as as we all know. And but I think you know, even though I want to bring this up, like in Iron Man three, you mm-hmm. have a, one of the things I will praise that movie for, even though I don't really think it's super great. I'd watch it over Age of Ultron, to be honest. Well, I'd, get, I'd edge it out because it I'll, has more characters. I'll watch I'll edge both. it out. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. Don't don't be like that. All right, but anyway. <laughs> My point is though is that what I'll praise Iron Man three all day for is that I love the aspect of what 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 would happen if you if you were a real person mm-hmm. and fighting these gigantic things and you get to see or you know you go into space and you see all these Leviathan monster alien things flying at you and you throw a nuke up there you're gonna have PTSD you know uh so uh, uh, so to me it's like I love that aspect of Iron Man because that's not in the comic books, but it's in the films because Tony, I think is portrayed in this way of he's this real person. And you see the progression of someone that you can relate to and someone you, you can, I you kind of understand mm-hmm. as he makes mistakes through all of the films and all the things he goes through. You can understand why he goes back to drinking in Iron Man Two, And it becomes like kind of, becomes a jerk because he's he's just like he's losing control of his life you know it's because he embraced that celebrity status he had nowhere else to go to and that's the thing with with Tony Stark is that in this in these films he is that flawed character he's more he's more of a flawed character human in these films and Downey does a great job of portraying that and the films I think even though I haven't loved you know, again, all the Iron Man films. I think uh, they cut kind of, I like Iron Man two more than Iron Man three, which is not not common for a lot of people. But even that said, I still love the progression. I think it's better than like, let's say, Thor's, uh, as far as all the way through three films. There's more of a character progression of Tony Stark than there is of Thor, and I love that. And I think because of that, Endgame, it was, even through, uh, I think one of the things that. Uh, Infinity War does a great job in setting up Endgame is that you really have no idea where I think Tony Stark is going to end up because you set him up with could he have a kid could he have could he be stuck on Titan there's no real you don't really know where they're going with that sword because there is a finale going on and you know that these characters have some kind of there's a mortality with them potentially there is you don't really know which which way they're going to go and i think because of our, of of tony stark's given his characterization through the films you know, of being you know this real person i think it gives him a sense of like he could die
0: no he can definitely die i mean i remember every time i saw infinity war in theaters when thanos stabs tony like everybody just gasped and i mean people just thought that was it. I mean, I even remember thinking like, "Oh my god, is this going to be it?" because Tony and Steve haven't even, you know, met each other or seen each other since Civil War, and I definitely need to see a scene between those two characters post Civil War, and now is that not going to happen? Just being so swept up in the moment as everybody was. And it just, you know, it points to that idea of mortality and I think, you know, with looking at Tony's track record and in, in all of this before, you know, we get into the end game and dying versus what else could happen with him. I think when you look at this character and you know, and I think Civil War is his finest performance actually from Downey. I mean, as great as he is in all these movies, from a general perspective, I think Robert Downey Jr. is really underrated for what he's done. As far as I mean, I know amongst fans we all love and appreciate his work as Iron Man, but I think when we look at like award body award giving bodies and those kinds of things, I, I think that Downey's really been overlooked for his work in the MCU, especially in the first Iron Man and then in Captain America Civil War, where you had this character who, when we talk about this theme of responsibility for the character, and also the progression and regression for this character. So you have Tony, who learns to take a step back in the Avengers, and then regresses from that in Avengers Age of Ultron, now he wants to take a step back again in Captain America Civil War because he's realizing the mistake that he made, and he's actually accepting responsibility for his part in Ultron's existence in Avengers Age of Ultron. So in Captain in Captain America Civil War, Tony jumps at the opportunity to have government oversight. And yet this is the same guy who back in Iron Man 2 was telling the United States Senate to go F itself because he had privatized world, he had successfully privatized world peace so that same guy is now leaping at an opportunity for government oversight and a lot of times you might say something like that doesn't make sense but in the marvel cinematic universe it makes complete sense because you've seen the progression that has led tony stark to this complete reversal of his mindset and even though it's a reversal on that on that specific issue when it comes to government oversight it's still the same track that, Sony, that Tony is on because it's him still trying to figure out how do I best take responsibility for myself? How do I best serve this planet as I try to protect this world from the threat that I know is out there? Do I trust myself? And I don't think Tony really trusts himself because he says we need to be put in check. But I think what Tony's really saying is I need to be put in check. But He's so he, His sense of failure when it comes to Ultron and the people who died as a result of Ultron and his feelings of responsibility for that have him not really even worrying about whether or not the Sokovia Accords are the best version of government oversight. It's just, here's government oversight, a bunch of people want it, a bunch of countries that are signing these accords, so we're just going to do it. He's already made up his mind before the Avengers even discuss it. Because, you know, Black uh, Natasha even says you're being uncharacteristically non-hyperverbal. And Steve says that's because he's already made up his mind. So once again, here's Tony making up his mind without consulting the rest of the team. But he still wants to have some sort of oversight. Uh, but he just he's leaping at this opportunity without even really considering if this is the right way to go about it. Because government oversight isn't inherently a bad idea, but... That doesn't necessarily mean you take the, you leap at the first idea that comes along. And now that's not to say that all of Civil War is Tony's fault. Steve has responsibility in that as well. And we will talk about that when we get to Steve's endgame episode. But it's still this progression of Tony of trying to figure out what it means to take responsibility for himself and what it means to try and save, uh, to try and save this world. And that responsibility takes a different form in his relationship with Peter Parker, which starts in Civil War, where you have this mentor and and father figure type of relationship. And that's a different kind of responsibility for Tony. It's one thing to be responsible for yourself as an individual. It's also another thing to be responsible for the entire world in the abstract. But when you're trying to be responsible for one specific person, like Tony is for Peter... We see how that freaks him out. Like when Peter makes that joke when, he's on, when they're on the Q ship of, if anything, you know, this suit's intuitive. I'm still here. If anything, it's your fault that I'm here. And Tony absolutely loses it for a second there because Tony does feel that responsibility for Peter. And that's a different kind of responsibility than he's used to feeling. But what we see with Tony all the way through Avengers Infinity Wars, we see a guy trying to figure out how to do the right thing. And he does the right thing a lot of the time. But then he has some missteps. He has errors in judgment. And then he also has things that, even though they have the best intentions and they're not really the wrong thing to do, they still backfire on him. I mean, it was his plan to go to Titan and to catch Thanos by surprise. And it almost worked, but they didn't win. All the way up until the point where Tony almost died, Doctor Strange gives up the Time Stone, and then we just see the complete and utter devastation on Tony's face and some of that is because of what just happened because Peter Parker faded to nothing in Tony's arms but there's also the realization that Tony's having he knows what the he knows what's the happening right here he knows what this latest loss has cost him he knows that half of everybody on earth is dead half of everybody across the universe is dead so Tony who's been on this entire track of responsibility accountability and trying to save the world from a threat that's been in his head since he saw it when he went through the wormhole in Avengers, it's all led to this moment, and it's all led to defeat. And you know, seeing him feel that in Avengers Infinity War, and seeing him still feeling that in a lot of ways in the Avengers Endgame trailer really points to some very interesting things for Tony. Because, you know, we talk about the idea that it's there's a sense of finality and he could die... I think, Paul, that there are a lot of other things, and, and we'll get into them as we talk about it here, but I think there are a lot of options for Tony's endgame outside of death.
1: Yeah, I think that there's, we have touched a lot about, a lot about this with the idea of Robert and, Robert Downey Jr. slash, you know, in Tony Stark's role being more of a mentor, more of, of a behind-the-scenes kind of guy where he's... If you remember the original Civil War comic book series where he becomes the director of Shield something like that that's where you probably could see Tony become a part of he becomes the new Nick Fury what you know who knows what happens to Nick Fury after this maybe he dies and and maybe he replaces him and he that way you could still have Tony Stark in the movies and maybe eventually sometimes suit up as Iron Man here or there but really you could keep them. You could keep them on the sidelines in that capacity, where you wouldn't need to be Iron Man. And other, you know, I always like that idea of, of of Tony Stark going into work for Shield and the, or becoming the director of Shield, and then he would uh supplant or uh, supplant them with Iron uh, Armor and things like that. So you'd have like Shield agents with. Iron Man armor that that always always really intrigued me. Or if you remember, this is kind of a deep cut. If you guys remember the Guardian uh, armor, it's, Tony Stark didn't design it, but it's a like green armor for like the uh, the jail or the the super the super villain cells um, where they would uh, like like Venom. Venom usually fought them a lot. Um, I think they're uh, if you, you know which one I'm talking about, it's like it's in the mid 90s uh like i don 't know if it's a raft or but they're they're called the i think there's the guardian armor do you okay. know which one i 'm talking about no. like they're they're it's more prominent in the mid nineties and they they're 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 these guards and and kind of like policemen that would wear this armor when they would take on like a venom or or something or a super powered villain and it, it pretty it became pretty common it 's not as uncommon now and i'll i 'll try to i,
0: I kind of know what you 're talking about I'm just trying to remember like a specific look of it
1: it's it's green and it has like white they have like little white eye sockets
0: yeah that sounds familiar
1: yeah so i want you know this could be a way for them to bring that into future films with iron man as director of shield you know he could be he could bring introduce that whole aspect into the mcu so for me i if it's not death with tony that mentor role i think you have to do and i think he has to show up here or there i just don't see robert Downey jr Honestly, like giving up the role until he's like really, really old because let's face it, he's getting up there and he still looks pretty good for his age. He could probably keep playing the role here or there uh, on a a, not as as big of a basis as, as he's doing now, but at least keep it somewhat going. And you could probably get behind it with movie magic and movie makeup, make him look pretty young and keep it. You know, that's the kind of the funny thing with comic book. Uh, superheroes is that we've gotten like a zillion different Spider-Men but Tony Stark has only been one person and, and it's hard because you know it's how, how do you replace someone so iconic with the character I mean you've had Michael Keaton but he with Batman he was so but then he was replaced right away with Val Kilmer and it, maybe, maybe just taking the bandaid off right away was really helped kind of give that James Bond kind of feel but with Tony Stark, it's going to be harder, and I kind of feel like either you do the band aid method or you do the mentor method. If you don't kill him, kill him out So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I think that there's his end game is going to be surviving and probably having a child and all that, you know, <laughs> getting st- married. Stuff. Yeah, I'm a baby, and so all that stuff. So I think that's probably where they're headed. That's where his end game is. I don't – like you kind of convinced me, I'll be honest, Sean, that it's probably not him who's going to die. I wouldn't be surprised if he died, but – because I, mean, I, I thought he was – He could die. He, he could
0: die. Like it's – it feels like everything is being set up uh, – in, in my mind, I feel like the story is, is setting us up to believe that Steve dies and Tony lives. And so there is a part of me that thinks the swerve is that Tony dies and Steve lives. Um, or, But there's also the thing, and we talked about this on the Marvel Unlimited Book Club on our Patreon. And uh, speaking of our Patreon, Paul, before we wrap up this episode, we're still yes. several minutes from wrapping it up, but I do want to take <laughs> a moment to thank Jordan Bentley and Jose Pereira. They are the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash News, where we have all kinds of exclusive content. You could hear episodes like this one 24 hours before the rest of the internet gets it. We have a daily podcast, multiple Q&A episodes. We have a Discord server where we talk about all kinds of things, and Paul leads comic book discussions there. Uh, We have the Marvel Unlimited Book Club that we talked about before where we talked about the Thanos Imperative, and uh, we talk about comic books every month, but uh, the Thanos Imperative is a story that maybe has some clues as to how things could end for certain characters in Avengers Endgame, but we brought up that possibility of Tony and Steve dying together you know, making the sacrifice play together. So I do think that's certainly, uh, the potential is there. Where I disagree with a lot of people is, for those who say that Tony has to die, because his entire arc has been building to him sacrificing himself, he satisfied that in the Avengers. You know, Steve said you would never lay down the wire and let the next guy crawl over you. And Tony says, I think I would just cut the wire. And Steve says, well, always a way out. Well, Tony didn't actually take a way out. He flew through the wormhole with a nuke, you know, with a nuclear bomb, thinking that was going to be it. He didn't know and he had zero expectation that he was going to survive. He thought it was a one-way trip and he just so happened to make it out of the wormhole alive, but he proved already that he was willing to sacrifice himself. So, I don't think the story, he could it could happen in Avengers Endgame, but I don't think the story demands that that be the case. When I look at Tony's Endgame, I think more about Tony doing something that he hasn't been able to do as a result of this arc. He he has been challenged with the idea of whether or not he would sacrifice himself and he's proven he would do that. One thing he hasn't really proven is that he can actually step back. That he can because when he he only briefly stepped back in the Avengers and then he regressed from that step in Captain America, uh, or I'm sorry, in Avengers Age of Ultron and then maybe had some missteps in trying to step back in Captain America Civil War, in which he didn't really, truly step back. Because even though he agreed to government oversight, he was sidestepping Ross and the Sokovia Accords the entire time. So he wasn't really honoring that. And you know, when it comes to him being Iron Man, he, you know, his way of dealing with his post-traumatic stress was to build a bunch of suits in Iron Man 3. He blew them all up and said he was taking a step back at the end of that film. But he didn't. He was right back in Avengers Age of Ultron. You know, he was helping the Avengers wipe out Hydra and locate uh, the Scepter in Avengers Age of Ultron. And then in Captain America Civil War, there he was saying that he and Pepper were on a break because he can't stop. He doesn't want to stop being Iron Man. And, you know, they set that up in the beginning of Infinity War as well with that conversation about Pepper. And where she's saying, like, you could dream about having kids all you want and we can do this wedding. But if you really wanted to have a kid... You wouldn't have that arc reactor with nanoparticles on your chest. You don't need it because you fixed your chest. You had surgery. You don't need the arc reactor anymore. You need to have shirts in your closet instead of worrying about the monsters in the closet. But Tony hasn't been able to stop worrying. So the monster in his closet this whole time, ever since Avengers, has been Thanos. And so if that monster is eliminated, what can Tony do? Can Tony... You know, Thanos has almost been his excuse to continue being Iron Man in all these ways, even if he didn't know what Thanos was called back for most of that time. So now that Thanos, the, if the threat with Thanos is resolved, can Tony finally take a step back? And that's why I don't necessarily see his endgame as being the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. or anything like that. That could happen later on. But I think an endgame for Tony is that for the foreseeable future, he would need to retire and really retire. Because the the problem with him being in S.H.I.E.L.D. or being a full-time mentor to Peter Parker and whoever else is that as soon as they're in trouble, Tony's going to put on the armor and he's going to be there. And so the only way that Tony can really, truly take a step back is to actually hand the reins of the Avengers to someone else or multiple someone else's. He has to do that and then actually move on with his life with Pepper. Get married, have a family. Now, inevitably, I think Tony... Comes back, but to provide a sense of finality for Tony without Nessus as an alternative to killing him, I think it is retirement moving on with his life with Pepper and actually being gone for a significant period of time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as an active avenger or even as a mentor maybe pop up and have a cameo here or there, but make it very clear that he is not going to be involved in this that he's letting other heroes you know take the stage, and it's their turn to. Step up and and save the world whenever it uh, whenever it's necessary. I think that's the next move for Tony, and then you know five years down the road or something like that, something inevitably happens and Tony gets back into the action, uh, which is fine. I think you can still I think it still counts as a sense of finality as long as there is a change that that lasts for a significant period of time. It doesn't have to be a permanent ending to the story unless of course it's death. So I, I think that's what I see as the end game for Tony is. A much more serious retirement, as, as opposed to what he's had previously in, in other films like Iron Man Three. That's the that's what my that's what my gut tells me for Avengers Endgame is, or that's what my gut tells me is the endgame for Tony Stark at this point. But now watch me see the movie in April and be totally wrong.
1: Yeah i I, th- I think that there's. I don't know if you can retire in, unless Robert really is. Does want to move on from the character, but I don't get that impression from Robert Downey Jr. I think he's really embraced being Iron Man, and enjoys being Iron Man. And and I think from all the benefits of being Iron Man, that means the financial part of it, the all that stuff. I think he loves it, and I don't think, and that's nothing wrong with that at all. And I think that's why I think he won't fully retire. I think he'll always have that suit there. Maybe I'll be wrong, but that's where I
0: think his well, endgame is. Has to, but I think it's a different thing if they, if Feige is telling Downey, "Hey man, like we need you to take a break for five years. Like we are going to bring you back, but we do need you to take a break because like we need what's happening here to mean something."
1: I I would agree with that. So
0: yeah. it, it's there's a difference between you know in the story Tony retires without knowledge that he's coming back. You no, know, but in real life, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. can quote retire, knowing the entire time that you can pull you Michael know, Jordan. Yeah, no, that like Kevin Feige is like, here's <laughs> the board of like where we're going. You know, this movie this year, this movie this year, da 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 da, da and this is where you come back in, and then going to be like, all right, cool. I, I could totally see that happening with uh, Downey in this because I, I don't know, I, I just it gets really hard for me to imagine Tony continuing to be a regular presence in the MCU immediately after Avengers Endgame. Uh, I think he moves on in some way, takes the step back that he's never really been able to uh, in this entire time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He successfully does it, at least for a while. He will be more successful than he's been in a long time. You know, <laughs> This will be his most successful retirement ever. Uh, until inevitably it, it ends prematurely because something is going to bring him back into the action. But I do think it's, I do think it's a while before we see Tony Stark playing a, a big role again in the MCU after this film.
1: Yeah, I, like I said, I, I would really, really like to have him be that Nick, new Nick Fury-like character. But like you said, I mean, he could retire. I mean, but, but we've I...
0: already got Nick Fury being Nick Fury in Spider-Man Far From Home
1: that that's a very 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 good point so there it kind of contradicts what i say but maybe but something along those lines where maybe him and fury are working together but right. something like that you never know and we for all we know nick fury and far from home could be an lmd
0: yeah we no, we you're right could be lmd could be a scroll could be chameleon could be anything we don't know mysterio yeah we yeah, don't know we we don't know um, but yeah i I lean towards retirement as the end game for Tony Stark, so I guess that makes it my official prediction in this end game series. Uh, is your prediction the head of shield or or similar by I the would end, say, of end game? yeah
1: i w- I would say my my end game for tony if i 'm a betting man he 'll do some kind of mentor leadership role within the Avengers, but not not on the team formally, yeah. but like something like that where he 'll be consulting and like a general Thunderbolt Ross kind of a like method, or between th- how about this somewhere between Thunderbolt Ross and Nick Fury somewhere between there
0: I think he I don't disagree with you that he ends up there years from now, but that's not what I see as his end game for this era of the m c u it's I think it's retirement. I think something I mean now I'm going years past end game. But if we ever get to a point where something happens to Nick Fury, then maybe Tony comes back in that kind of role. Or maybe if somebody like, I mean, granted, this all depends on deals between Marvel and Disney and Sony, but if Norman Osborn starts running some things in the Marvel Mm -hmm. Cinematic Universe, then Tony coming back to give Norman Osborn the boot, that's something that I could see happening. That's much more in the long term of the MCU. I don't think, I don't see Avengers Endgame Ending with Tony Stark having his having an immediate active role, even as a mentor, when it comes to the Avengers. I I think his number one job when he uh, at the end of Avengers Endgame is going to be, well, two jobs: that of a husband and that of a father. I think that's you know, and just being retired. That's that's the Mm -hmm. endgame that I see for uh, for Tony.
1: So really fast, Sean. Can can we talk about? potential Norman Osborn in the Patreon credit scene uh, in addition to what we're talking about? Sure.
0: Yeah, we will go ahead and we will continue that thought on our Patreon. So as Paul was referring to, thanks for the segue. (laughs) No problem. uh, As I mentioned moments ago, we do have a Patreon that has exclusive content. That includes Patreon credit scenes where we do bonus conversations in addition to main episodes like this one. And those are available for just a dollar a month, which also gives you access to shows like this one 24 hours before the rest of the internet. So on the Patreon credit scene, we'll continue this thought on Norman Osborne, and we will also talk about the Marvel animated series that are going to be coming to Hulu. And for more information on all of the exclusive content that we have on our Patreon as well as our Discord, head over to patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. And then if you just want to keep up with us on our website, marvelstudiosnews.com, Socially, it's at Marvel Studios News on Facebook and Instagram. And then on Twitter, it's at Marvel Newscast. Paul, where can they find you?
1: Sorry. You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P Thug, and my other uh, Star Wars podcast. The Saga Continues and Blaster Cannon.
0: And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S-E-A-N. You can also find me on my Star Wars podcast with the great John Beerley, Fandalorians, and it's at Fandalorians on Twitter. So, for Paul and for Marvel Studios news, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.